Frank Muir goes into the office and investigates the humour of the profession with the help of Alfred Marx. Now, what this firm needs, my boy, is a chief warrior. Someone to do all the worrying instead of me. The salary is 5000 a year. Do you want the job? Oh, yes. How will I be paid? That's your first worry. <laughs> a business cyclist was deliriously ill in hospital, and the nurse took his temperature. What is it, nurse? 104. If it gets to 105, sell. <laughs> please, 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 Mr Pritchard. Could I have next Friday off? Uh, hang it all, West. You've already had leave to see your wife off on a journey to go to your mother-in-law's funeral when your boy had measles for your little girl's christening. What is it this time? I'm going to get married, sir. <laughs> a business efficiency expert died and his coffin was being borne by four pallbearers into church for the funeral when suddenly the corpse raised the lid, sat up and said, you know, if you've got a trolley, we don't need one of you on this job. <laughs> What's your new secretary like? Bright girl? Not very, no. She spent the whole morning trying to dial established 1887. <laughs> Evans, Evans, what is the meaning of this? You should have been here at nine o'clock. Why, what happened? <laughs> there was the absent-minded businessman who arrived home, kissed his wife and started dictating a letter. Or the business efficiency, time and motion man, who says his prayers on New Year's Day and every other night of the year just says, ditto. <laughs> Mr. Cohen and Mr. Levy decided to go into business in Dublin. They opened a shop and they said that Cohen and Levy wouldn't look very good up on the board, so they changed it to O'Reilly and O'Reilly. The first day the office was open, the telephone rang and the voice said, can I speak to Mr. O'Reilly, please? Yes, which O'Reilly do you want, Cohen or Levy? <laughs> you know... You know, I feel I'd like to punch the boss in the face again. Again? D did you say again? Yeah, well, I felt like doing it yesterday, too. <laughs> dear sir, dear sir, I would be most grateful if you could send me two mongooses. Uh, uh, two, um, no, uh, two mongoose. Um, gauss. Gers. Dear sir, I would be most grateful if you could send me a mongoose. P.S. Please send me another one with it. <laughs> The office has an ominous ring to a lot of people. It's the centre of their lives from nine to five or ten to six or whatever hours they're forced to work. And even people who actually enjoy their work sometimes resent office discipline. There's a very rigid protocol and this is a source of a lot of office jokes. The butt is red tape with its eternal problems of seniority. At what grade can an executive have curtains or rubber plant? In some organisations, fitted carpets are cut away from the walls when an office passes to a more junior member of staff. <laughs> and the bits are then sewn back on again when he's promoted. <laughs> the, the joke office, well, uh, quite a few real ones too, are, are full of bustling men sending each other memos, thanking each other for memos, thanking each other for memos, <laughs> and so on. Office routine is the main hindrance to anything actually getting done. Parkinson's law reigns supreme, the theory that work expands to fill the time allotted. 
In office jokes, there's always great activity and no progress, sort of horsepower without wheels. A lot of time seems to be wasted in filling in forms, requisitions, dockets, chits. Everybody has copies, and whatever happens is always someone else's fault. Someone coming through on green, Rick. <laughs> I'll be Alan from Sales if it's on green, dog. Alan Sales, do you want to talk to him? No, that bloke gets up my nose. I'll have a word with him, otherwise you'll hang up, you know, Alan. Yeah. Hello, George here. Hello, Alan. Who is it? It's Alan Sales on Green. Oh, I've worked with him. Uh, Reg is just coming through on Green, Alan. Oh, uh, hello, Alan. It's, uh, it's uh, Reg here. Yes, I'll just hand you over to George, OK? George, it's Alan. Hello, Alan. <laughs> Reg just handed me over on Green. No, no, we've not got them. You haven't got the links. You haven't got the links. Oh, God. Uh, Reg is just coming on green, Alan. Alan, I'll be very brief. Look, the links... <laughs> the links go through to you direct via admin, not via us. Read the orange handbook, love. <laughs> Alan, I appreciate your position, of course, but it's not really our pigeon. No, well, I'll get onto it for you and get back to you on blue, OK? <laughs> no, I can't really talk, cos he's, he's here. <laughs> yes, I, I love you too. <laughs> how can he have not got the links? I don't know how he hadn't got them, but he hadn't got them. I'd better get on to Bernard right yeah. away. I'll bet Daphne's fouled the footpath here. <laughs> a weak link, you know, that yeah. Daphne. Sylvia, um, would you get me uh, Bernard, please? Yes. Bernard, um, sorry to trouble you, but I'm bringing up some uh, lengths which are missing. I've got Alan on my back and the whole office is going mad up here. <laughs> yes, Bernard, there's no trace of dockets. I've been right through to Ronia. What are you on, John? I'm on yellow. Um, Reg is coming on yellow. Hello, Bernard. Reg here. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> Reg on yellow, uh, Bernard. Reg, I've just had a knock-through file, but there's not a trace of a docket. Unless we have your docket, love, we can't move. No oh, can do. docket, love. No, our hands are tied. Mm. Yes, well, I'll get on to Dorian in maintenance, right? Mm. Bernard, George is getting on to Dorian maintenance. Uh, Sylvia, would you get me Dorian on grey, please? Did you really? What, Daphne? You ran to help Tony. Dorian, Dorian, it's, um, it's George here. I'm bringing up recent lengths which haven't been run yet and we've got no trace of docketing through stereotype or yacht control. <laughs> yes, it does put us in a bit of a mind, so if you could pull out all the stops your end... I'd much appreciate it. Yes, I know, Bernard, it's not fair on us, it's not fair on you, is it, hmm? Anyway, I can't talk to you because he's here. <laughs> yeah, I love you too. <laughs> I'm not here. I'm on to Dorian. No, Dorian, look, if you could do that for us, I'd very much appreciate it. <laughs> yes. That's what I told him. Hello? <laughs> oh, hello, Barbara. How are you? It's Red here. Yeah. Um, George, it's, uh, it's Barbie on Red. Barbara who? Your wife. Um, Do you want to talk to her? No, tell her I'm on to Dorian on grey. All right. <laughs> Barbara, love, uh, George can't talk to you, he's out. Um, I can't talk because he's here. <laughs>
Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. That was a comedy routine, but an actual event happened to a friend of mine, a television producer at Television Centre. He was sitting in his office, his secretary had gone out for coffee, and he decided to ring a colleague. So he lifted the phone and dialed his colleague's extension, but he absentmindedly dialed his secretary's extension. So the phone rang on his secretary's desk. So he put down his phone, <laughs> went over to the other phone, lifted it and said, would you wait a minute, I'm on the other phone. <laughs> Laid it on the desk, went back to the first phone, held it to his ear and waited. He sat there waiting 19 minutes for himself to come on the line. <laughs> One of the great standbys of office jokes is the relationship between the boss and his secretary, quite often his wife too. It's an axiom of such jokes that the boss is having an affair with his secretary. Alfred, a couple of examples. A young man set up his own business and immediately engaged three beautiful young typists. That's ridiculous, said a friend. How do you expect to accomplish anything? Simple, I'll give two of them the day off. <laughs> or a busy tycoon who liked to keep his secretary by his bed in case he got an idea during the night. Nasty male chauvinist jokes. But that sort of image adds to the incongruity of this notice seen in the town hall of a London borough. Owing to the fuel crisis, officials are advised to take advantage of their typists between the hours of 12 and 2. <laughs> or, the, or this one from a hotel booklet. For those combining business with pleasure, an office and typist are available at moderate charge. <laughs> In fact, the secretary's relationship with the boss more often involves making excuses than making love. A good secretary uses the telephone as a sort of shield to ward off unwelcome callers. What she says on the phone to this caller is rather different from what she actually means. Let's have some examples. Uh, Alfred, you start and I'll translate as you go along. I'll see if he's free. He's making a face that means he doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> I'm afraid he's got someone with him. Some drunken friend has come round to take him out for lunch. He's in a meeting, I'm afraid. He's still at lunch. I'm afraid a bit of a crisis has blown up. He's drunk. I'll ask him to call you back. I will, but he won't. <laughs> the image of the boss suffers as much in jokes as that of his secretary. But in reality, a successful businessman is forceful, effective and dynamic. Fine, fine, fine. Come in, come in. Now listen, I'll take 3,000 amalgamated chemicals and don't, whatever you do, take up the option on Wilson Engineering. Sit down, sit down. Fine. Hello, Simpson. Check the Baghdad contract and phone me back at 4.30 with the precise figures. All right? All right. Sarah, remind me. 6.30 at number 10 Downing Street. Fine, fine. Have a cigar. What's the matter? Can't you take cigars? Hmm? <laughs> now listen. I'm the head of a vast corporation here, but I make it my business to know every single one of my employees personally, Potter. Johnson, sir. Now listen, the research department has been doing bloody well on this new gas development plant. You're the head of the research department, right? No, sir. No, sir. I make the tea, sir. Don't be so <laughs> modest, Pettigrew. I'm not a fool, you know. I'm a tough, hard-headed businessman. I work my way up from the shop floor. I started at tuppence an hour, scraping the muck out of the blast furnaces with my bare hands. I've seen it all, Pritchard. There's not a thing that gets by me. Now listen, I want a new man in the foreign department and you're the chap I want. But sir, I'm only 18, sir. Don't believe everything they tell you, Pearson. 
Otherwise, they'll beat you down. They'll beat you down with their bare hands. You've got to be tough. You've got to know where you're going. How many languages do you speak? One, sir. One. I like you, Peters. I like you. <laughs> you're not afraid to say what you mean, are you? You see that? You see that? That's my baby. I created that. I created that with my bare hands. They said I couldn't do them, but I hit them with it. I hit them with it where it hurts. And they cracked, Pringle. They cracked like dry twigs. That's what life's all about. Now listen, I'll give you 4,000 pounds a year, your own office in Paris, and all you can spend. Take it or leave it. But, sir, I'm, I'm not the head of the research department. I've never been abroad in my life, sir. I... I don't, I don't even know what the firm makes, sir. I mean, I just make the tea, you know. What do you want? Tea or coffee, sir? Only buns. Buns? Buns? I've got more buns than you've had hot dinners! Because they're my life! They're my life and they sell! They sell because they're good buns! Damn good buns! Now, oh, you're talking, lad! I want 3,000 of those buns, do you hear me? 3,000 of the biggest buns you've got, and I want tea! Gallons and gallons of tea! Do you get that, print love? Yes, sir! Right! Oh, and Palgrave! Yes, sir! You start in Paris on Monday! Right, sir! Right! Ronnie Barker and Ronnie Corbett. Bosses spend a lot of their time dictating letters. You can always tell an inexperienced dictator by the fact that he walks up and down the room and tries to peer over his secretary's shoulder to see how far he's got. He soon gives this up unless he learns shorthand. Business letters tend to be full of all kinds of meaningless formal phrases and they often read rather strangely. Alfred. Dear Madam, your towel has been carefully examined by the technical manager of the laundry who wishes to state that these holes are razor cuts and not due to any lack of negligence on our part. <laughs> Dear sir, thank you for your order for three oil tankers which follow under separate cover. <laughs> Dear sir, I'm afraid that I'm unable to accede to your request that we should replace your lawnmower. We endeavour to maintain a high standard of maintenance and employ only the best workers, but this is quite impossible. <laughs> Or one from a job applicant. Dear sir, read your advertised vacancy for a junior clerk. I am a vacant junior clerk. <laughs> but sometimes, only sometimes, mistakes in business letters are the typist's responsibility. Finished, Miss Posner? Yes, sir. Oh. Mrs. Logan and Sins, <laughs> Fringes Street, Ophinborough, Gintleman. <laughs> Thank you for your litter of the sex tunes. We shall be hippie to the love of your odour. <laughs> Miss Paisley? Yes, sir. You're improving. <laughs> John Cleese and Sheila Stiefel. Although offices are not the hotbeds of vice that jokes make them out to be, romance does sometimes flourish amidst desks and filing cabinets. Sometimes under the desks and behind the filing cabinets. <laughs> Though for some it's difficult to separate work and pleasure. Here's a love letter from a businessman to a secretary. Uh, to uh, etc. from um, etc. <clears throat> I hope you don't mind, but I thought a letter a more suitable form of address than a memo, since I don't want to send any copies to their mo. Uh, Miss Smith, I think you're quite divine. I wish your shorthand lay in mine. I'd, I'd give my pension, I confess, to be a typewriter key that you caress, para. 
<laughs> Another thing that I would crave, a chance to be in receipt of your favour and know the feelings I impart are duplicated in your heart. Oh, if you're even half convinced, let's meet upon the seventh inst. So, last I beg with wishes fervent to remain your humble servant, your ref, my ref, please don't be deaf to my protestations. I quote this number in all communication. <laughs> But love must come second in the office. There's work to be done, and that needs clear thinking, a logical mind. Here's a letter from a furniture manufacturer to a customer, quoted in the London Evening News. Uh, further to your esteemed order for 20 medium oak chairs, the Board of Trade halved the order and only sanctioned 10. Will you therefore please submit a further order for 20 chairs so that the Board of Trade can halve same and so give us a requisite number of chairs? <laughs> Often, office discipline comes back to niggly matters of seniority. Have copies of memos been sent to all the right people? Who takes a chair at meetings? What's the order of priority for the circulation of magazines? Offices, and indeed the whole industry, are bedeviled by a very rigid class system. Look to me to make the decisions. I am an executive. Look to me to keep the wheels turning. I am a senior clerk. Don't look at me, mate. I'm only a worker. <laughs> I live by clear-headed, dynamic, forward thinking. I live by honesty and industry. I live by the railway cuttings in Clapham. <laughs> I'm driven to work by a uniformed chauffeur in a limousine. I'm driven to work by a uniformed bus driver. I'm driven to work by the wife and kids. <laughs> my mid-morning cup of coffee is brought to me on a silver tray by my secretary. My mid-morning cup of tea is brought to me in an easy-grip, plasti-mold, disposable beaker. <laughs> Elsie brings ours round at an urn. And you can't tell whether it's tea or coffee or... Because my lunch hour lasts uh, three hours, it is very valuable. But it is also a working lunch, and therefore it is on expenses. My lunch hour lasts one hour, but it is a very ordinary lunch, therefore it is on luncheon vouchers. I don't have lunch. I have me dinner. <laughs> If I'm too tired to work, I take a sabbatical year. If I'm too tired to work, I take it out on the wife. If I'm too tired to work, I'll get the sack. <laughs> I don't get the sack. I am redeployed. I am neither sacked nor redeployed. I'm given a directorship. Three different levels of industry. I have the key of the executive cloakroom. I use the staff toilet facilities. I hold it till I get home. <laughs> John Cleese, Ronnie Barker, and Ronnie Corbett. The office class system continues into the way people are paid. There's a rather snobbish division between those who receive a monthly salary and the weekly paid workers who get their money in a little brown seed packet. <laughs> Here's a notice from the outside of one of those wages envelopes. 
If money in envelope does not agree with net wages, you must inform pay office before breaking seal. It's rather like that terrible businessman's error, isn't it? Uh, please tell me if you do not receive this letter. <laughs> apart, <coughs> apart from the money, what is it that drives office workers on? Enthusiasm, perhaps. Fear, certainly. But there's something else, too. An insurance agent talking to a businessman. Now you want your office furnishings insured against theft. Yes, said the businessman, all except the clock. Everyone watches that. <laughs> But where would people in offices be without the clock to watch? The work could be so boring, writing letters, answering phones, having meetings, going to committees, and talking the special language of business. Good God! J.G. P.L.J. I haven't seen you since you're a PA to the ADC at HQ. And yes. you were DTLI to the TA. Yes, right. How extraordinary <laughs> to see you after all this time. Oh, yes. <laughs> Tell me, have you seen anything of R.B.? Uh, yes, he's an M.O. in the R.N.V.R. Really? O.T.D.'s mm. a Q.C., you know. And mm. I tell you who I saw the other day. L.O.P.N. Old L.O.P.N.? Lord, fancy that. We used to call him L.O. for short, didn't That's we? That's right. We used to tease him about that. Remember, he used to say, L.O., L.O. used to drive him mad. Yeah. He didn't have a sense of humor, did he? Uh, what are you up to now? Um, I'm with ICI. And you? B.A.T. Mm. You, you heard about poor old B.O. No. <laughs> what? Uh, well, there was a most frightful stink. <laughs> DTs. The SOP? Yes, exactly. Tragic business. Now, of course, he's doing Sweet F.A. <laughs> What's H.L. up to? Oh, minding his P's and Q's, I think. I think he's mixed up in this N.E.D.C. thing. I thought it was the E.E.C. Could be, yes, could be. How's B.N., by B.N., B.N., he's OK, a bit short of the L.S.D. I saw T.D. the other day in the Y.M.C.A. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was with uh, TWA in LA. No, no, no. He's with BEA in NW3. You're thinking of DG. <laughs> DG is a VIP in the USA. Correct, yes, yes. You heard about uh, old HK? No, what? Oh, he did frightfully well. Picked up the VC in Germany. At least I think that's what his mother said. <laughs> I'd better be popping along. I've, uh, I've uh, got to get into a DJ for the OBD. <laughs> I'd like to have a P in the WC. <laughs> Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Let's look at office parties. Office parties are supposed to be regretted all the year until the next one when everyone makes fools themselves all over again. Another sort of institutional frolic that keeps recurring is the retirement party. In big organisations, the office class system shows more in the farewell to a member of staff than anything else. There are grades of celebration, from tea party through informal drink, cocktail party, champagne party, up to slap-up dinner. A really top executive gets them all. It takes him about a month to leave. <laughs> and usually there's some presentation engraved barometer, perhaps, or sometimes less conventional gifts, as in this report from an Australian paper. An inscribed leather suitcase was presented to Mrs Ashton, a pipe to Mrs Longmore, and Mrs Hersey also received gifts. Mr Walter Painter received a knot from a cricket ball which fractured a bone in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> the retirement party 
<laughs> is a great time for speeches. And if the retiring staff members had a few drinks, his presentation can be fairly embarrassing. I, I don't suppose that it, it ever occurred to any of you that I had to get half stoned every morning <laughs> to make it down to this crummy job. You'd, uh, you'd, you'd be smiling and easygoing if you were gassed all the time, too. But you put in your 50 years, and they give you this crummy watch. They, I try to, try to make a big deal out of it. It works out to about 28 cents a year. <laughs> but uh, ser seriously, if it hadn't been for the 50 bucks a week that I glommed out of petty cash, <laughs> well, I, I just uh, I couldn't have made it on the and the lousy salary they pay us. <laughs> oh, and then uh, someone started the rumor about Miss um, Wilson, the, uh, the cashier, and myself. <laughs> and everyone was running, if, uh, you know, when I retire and uh, she gets back from her vacation in Florida, whether well, uh, we would get married, I suppose, and spend our declining years down there. Uh, she, she isn't coming back, by the way. <laughs> I understand that sweet old Miss Wilson is uh, into this company for about a hundred thousand bucks. <laughs> it's, it's a little deal that she's worked out. She either calls it uh, double payrolling or ghost payrolling or some, something having to do with payrolling. <laughs> I can never make heads or tails out of what she was talking about. Of course, she's uh, down in Mexico with a hundred thou. And I'm up here with this crummy watch. So anything that I might say, I suppose, would be sour grapes. <laughs> One last thing. A lot of uh, people have asked me, Charlie, what are you going to do when you finally retire? Are you going to get a little uh, part-time job in Florida or uh, just a lull around the beach? Or in other words, what am I going to do? I have some tapes from some office parties. <laughs> that I'm I'm going to let go for fifteen hundred bucks a copy. <laughs> now let me let me take that back a minute. Uh, the June picnic may run seventeen five. <laughs>
and with the money that I make off of the tapes and Ms. Wilson's under thou, <laughs> I should uh, do pretty good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bob Newhart. And that's about it for this week. Let's finish with an epitaph on a senior civil servant written by D.R. Petty. Here lies Sir John, despite his fame in departmental annals, death, when it notified its claim, bypassed the proper channels. Well, we hope you've had a... We hope you've had a good day at the office and you'll join us again next week when we go into government. Until then, goodbye from yours faithfully, Mrs Muir. And Marks. Limited. Indeed. Frank Muir goes into the office was produced by Simon Brett and Bob Oliver Rogers. Come to me, please. It's just a